We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 28th day of September, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and a very special guest. We will get to him in just a moment. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive as usual. Glad to hear it. I just I had to I had to take a day and and go and get some solitude. So that's where I was yesterday. Uh, I wasn't uh, wasn't here. I, I missed the date by a week. I thought that it was going to be next week, but it ended up being yesterday, and that's when I had reservations. I went to uh, I know Germany's in the middle of an energy crisis, but uh, even more so today. Uh, but with Nord Stream, but we're not going to talk about that today uh, because of our guest. Uh, but I went to a um, went to one of those thermal. Um, spas, you know, where they've got like the, the fault line and they've got like the geothermal pools and everything. And oh my goodness, was that needed. So they didn't have to conform to the energy restrictions or anything like that because they had a geothermal power station on site. And it was, uh, it was quite something. Had a great time, had a lot of relaxation and just some quiet time. And I needed it after all the craziness and I haven't had a vacation. So I thought, you know, one night, you know, I went down and stayed in a nice place, had dinner, breakfast this morning and came back. And here we are back to the grind. So I get 24 hours off while other people get to go and lay on a beach somewhere or play golf or whatever it is they do. So I took one day. I think one day is is forgivable, isn't it? Is one day forgivable, Bruce? You, you think so? Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. We, we do need one from time to time. So, yeah. From time to time. Yeah, that'll be my last one of the year, unfortunately. And joining us today is a very special guest. He runs the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. This is Weston. Weston, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. It's good to see you. And uh, we're going to have a very good in-depth conversation today. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And I would make a small correction. I co-run the site with, uh, not sure, also known as Bev. Oh, okay. My mistake. That, that's okay. my mistake. Yeah, like I work together with her. I mean, I do all the updating and transcripts and different things and videos, and then you know she writes. Not sure. So we work together. But I do most of the mundane stuff, and she does basically most of the creative stuff except the videos. Okay, that's that's good to know. I'll keep that in mind. It was my mistake. Uh, sorry, Bev, okay. if you're listening. Sorry, <laughs> but I um. I want to talk about your site. I ran across it a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it's been more than a couple of weeks ago. We've been corresponding for uh, almost well, almost three weeks now, I think. And mm -hmm. I was trying to reach out to the individual that your site is centered around. And I had mm -hmm. no idea that that individual is no longer with us. But can you tell people basically just uh, about your site? We're going to be talking about all the content that's on your site today. We've got a lot of audio to get to today uh, that's going to be part of our conversation. Uh, can you tell people basically about what your site is and what you do there? All right. So CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and also the rest of the official sites, which are listed of Alan Watt, which are listed on the CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, like around the front page there. You'll see those official sites listed. Those are the websites of Alan Watt, who is a researcher and he who made thousands upon thousands of, of educational talks and interviews and things on the agenda and the elites on, you know, what's happening in the world and why it's happening, you know, how they're accomplishing it. And also 
what's going to happen in the future. And the reason why he could talk about the future is because the elites, the, if you read the documents, like, you know, the ministry of defense, uh, strategic trends program report that uh, Alan has linked on the site. If you read that stuff, they tell you they're planning the future and it's not pretty. There's going to be mobs, unrest and pandemics and all these other things. And, and you know, they're going to have a lot less, uh, you're going to have a lot less spending money and, and so on. They tell you about the future, you know, and they're, they're constantly think tanks all the time working on it. And that's what Alan Watt goes through. And he's, he's, about loads and loads, tons and tons of information about history. He's, he's talked about uh, a lot of current events as well. Just uh, tons and tons of information that I think is immensely valuable. And he has a very unique perspective. He didn't fall for a lot of the pitfalls that a lot of people in sort of conspiracy underground fall for. You know, like you, you just need to vote in order that again, and that will you know fix everything if you just vote the right person in. Like he never fell for that. He always said, you know, if voting worked, it'd be made illegal. That was one of the things that Alan would say a lot. So, like, I do think he had a very extremely valuable perspective. He certainly profoundly changed my life. I feel like, oh, Alan Watt a lot. This is why I'm on I'm on here right now speaking is because I feel that, you know, I owe it to him. I don't have a particular ambition or inclination to do podcasts and speak. I never intended to put my own words on Alan Watt's sites, but I'm not sure if that would help. And I'm I'm here to help uh, with the sites. And so I, I'll do it. Let it be done. And also, this, the evil needs to be fought. It needs to be spoken out against. And so, yeah, that's what I, also, I, I understand that as well. You know, Did I, I answer uh, your question? No, that, that answered my question. Yeah, you, you went above and beyond. I think it's great. It's funny. I, I never really thought about it. But in a way, I, I'm here because of, because of him, too. He's, he's one of the yeah, he's one of the guys and we were talking in prep. He's one of the guys that I first saw that got me to wake up to, to see what these institutions are all about. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, the banking establishments, which we've been talking about here at nauseum for years, the Rockefeller right. Institution, the Rothschilds, the corporation heads, these people that plan society, the educational arms they get into. Uh, and it, it's just it's unbelievable how much they have actually engineered and steered our culture. And in a way, they've actually they've they've forced people like us to emerge to sit up here and and talk about these issues. Otherwise, if we were following along with what they wanted us to follow along with, then we wouldn't be sitting here, would we? Or we'd be talking about things that are completely irrelevant to anything, you know, like the, the sports talk. And I'm not knocking people that do that. If that's what you want to do, you go right ahead. But I, I prefer talking about real things. And and as you said, if you go to these these organizations, the the, the Rockefeller Foundation, the the, uh, the central banks, if you read the World Economic Forum or whatever, there's another one. If you read their white papers... And that's what Alan said to do. He says, if you go and you, you go to these institutions, you start researching them and you read the academic papers that they put out, they'll tell you what they're going to do. It's not like they're hiding it. They're out in the open. I mean, they, yeah. they do things backstabbing in, in secret. Yes, but that's what the entertainment's for. The entertainment is there to distract us from what they're actually doing. They'll tell you out in the well, open. It's not what just to doing. distract you. Yeah, go ahead. It's not just to distract you. It actually, uh, entertainment actually programs you and prepares you for what's going to happen in the future. I don't want one to allow that to predictive programming, you know, or even like just cultural changes, like, you know, who enough would want to get married after watching some of those BBC uh, programs, you know, where they show married couples just having just the heart, the hardest time getting along, just constantly yelling at each other and so on. This sort of thing, just the cultural updates uh, of how, uh, where society, you know, is, is supposed to go. And, and they, of course, they get all the rich and good looking people to show you how, you know, you should behave and so on, and like who you should model. 
So there's also that aspect of entertainment. Okay, that's what this is all I want to say. No, you're you're no you're you're spot on. Um, and I've got uh, I've got audio today to to correspond with exactly that. Uh, we're going to play some clips of Alan uh, here in just a few minutes. We're going to get into those. Uh, but mm-hmm. we can start at the beginning. And when I say start at the beginning, I mean for for us. I mean we can talk about our own individual experiences and how Alan was able to actually call this. And it, it mm-hmm. wasn't until I heard him speak on this and and some of these clips that you sent over, which we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to play so mm-hmm. the listener, the, the listeners that are unfamiliar with Alan's work and how instrumental he was in waking people up and getting people to pay attention to the real things. As you said, not conspiracy theories. He didn't delve into conspiracy stuff. I never heard him talk about uh, conspiracy nonsense or, or conspiracy like wild rabbit hole kind of stuff. Uh, right. He always was able to talk about things that were public out in the open, open source information that you could go and verify for yourself. He never told people how to think. He always said, think right. for yourself. That's where you can start. You can start with education, our upbringings. We're made to think at a very young age, at least at more so now. But I remember going, you know, starting school back in the 80s and then coming up into the 90s. I don't remember too much from the 80s, but I, I do recall that it wasn't too much into the, um, you know, the participation trophy stuff. We, we didn't really get to that. That came later. That did happen, but it came later. Mm-hmm. That goes along with when you're educating a, a, an up and coming generation of kids, it's that group think ideology. You want to get everybody into that group. So you form up in a, in a mass common mindset at a young age. And that way, when you grow into adulthood, or I'm doing the air quotes, adulthood, you can't think for yourself. You're thinking as a group. You're pushed, and now, of course, with everything, you're pushed right into social media, and everything's amplified on, on social media and in the mass media because of the advancement of technology. And, and you've been bombarded with ads that uh, that are um, that are targeted specifically at you, basically showing you in the recommended videos or even articles on all the different sites you're looking at, showing you which direction you're supposed to, or that the People who design these sites, which are all, you know, the tech billionaires and so on, are all into the foundations and so on, but the, how actually they want you to think. And so you're constantly being guided, being bombarded with propaganda, really. That's true. That's true. And and why is it that we're so susceptible to that? I mean, yes, we're being bombarded left, right, and center. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, I was saying, my God, we're up to our eyeballs in propaganda. I mean, 10 years ago, we, we were swimming yeah. in it. Now it's it's that times a thousand. It's, it's just insane. I mean, we're, we're, we're drowning in it. And why is that? Why, why is that? It, nothing was more evident to me than the last few years with COVID. The mm-hmm. amount of groupthink that has been that has been out there in the open now is just it, it is just unbelievable. It is I cannot believe how many people have been complacent, compliant. But given how we were brought up in our education system, it is possible that this is not an accident. People followed that because that's what we were trained to do. It's definitely not an accident. I would say as well, I mean, as far as like for like, in the, you know, looking back, you know, many, many years ago, decades ago, generations ago, you know, why did people go along with, you know, the group and whatever, you know, totalitarian movement or whatever, you know, craziness that was happening in their time? A lot of it is that uh, if their parents, they looked to their parents to warn them. Alan mentioned this a lot. And, and if their parents don't warn them, then they think nothing must be wrong and that all these people with suits and ties, they all have your best interests at heart. And, because, you know, your parents have been voting for him. So you, you go out and you vote whatever party, generally whatever your parents were. And you, you think, uh, you know, it just it just works how, you, how it was presented to you, how, how it, you, you were told it's supposed to work. And it's, it's nothing's further from the truth. It's, it's, the reality is quite different to how the world is actually run, what the government does and what it is and what's the point of the government and all the different agencies and so on. 
basically the whole authorized the authorized reality that you're given is the matrix and you know cutting in order to cut through the matrix really you can't just rely on your instincts because your instincts just tell you what well, my parents would have warned and so that's that's a lot of you know since it's, it's natural it's instinctual for you just look to your parents and say okay well if they accepted all this then i'll accept it too you know that's one of the bigger traps even before we had all the sophisticated technology bombarding of mass media bombarding us why so much evil wasn't allowed to happen in the past and still now bruce you want to jump in there before we get to our first clip ah, uh, you guys are hitting it i don't know how much more to add to it because uh j just to give kind of a, a a slight you guys are talking about people or interactions and whatnot you've had exactly to what uh you're saying weston the you you kind of have your parents teach you at that I mean, my disdain for government, my distrust of government, my distrust of institutions, that was kind of bred into me, if you will. Because uh, mm -hmm. I remember uh, being brought up, you had the romanticization of, of what America used to be and like mm -hmm. the, the foundation stuff. And then it's time to vote. Well, our votes don't really matter, which I mean, we're in Podunk Town, of course, you know, that, that's kind of the mentality in, in small locations and, and the distrust of government that was kind of... It, it, it's uh, that's always been there i don't i don't remember having a come to jesus moment if you will uh, uh -huh. where it was it, it's just always been there it's i've always once i became politically aware which was mm -hmm. about the time i hit 18 i started uh like it was during obama uh when he was first running and i remember seeing the first debate i had seen with him and I was like, that dude's a liar. He's got a silver tongue. That was pretty much the end of, of what I watched with Obama. And turns out, yeah, that, that was the correct assumption. Uh, it, it's not even really an assumption at that point. It was a gut feeling. It was a, you've seen it and it was just like this, the, there's too much ambiguity. Am, I can't say that word. Ambiguity? Thank you. Yes. Uh, there, there was too many uh, promises of, of change and uh, hope and change uh, and, and nothing yeah. really true like he didn't talk about actual things that could be changed it was just out there in the ether uh, you know whatever you could imagine so uh yeah i've always been shooting from the hip when it comes to this kind of stuff because uh right. in, in a sense it, it, because this is thinking for yourself and 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 having the individualism and all of that the federalism as as we've kind of talked about before that's seems right so I, I, in all the stuff we talk about and do and everything, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip based on worldview. And I, 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 I'm, I'm terrible of the, of, of us that are on the podcast. I haven't, I'm not well read in all of this or any of that. I literally, I just shoot from the hip. This is, this is what seems right. And I, I, I always attempt to do what's right. So, you know, I was neither, I wasn't aware of well, well read either until and the only reason why I started reading a lot of books is because of Alan. And the only reason why I didn't have that upbringing, like you did, uh, no where I was distrustful of the government. So basically I was pretty much, you know, clueless, one of the walking dead, as Alan would say, you know, I really didn't know anything. Uh, basically I, I heard Alan's, I was very, and Alan would say this too, I think, not very often, but I think he did say this a few times that like, it's for someone who's like, you know, completely just unawake, you know, just dead. The only way for them to really be open to waking up is if they're completely broken. Like something happens like 9-11, COVID, you know, 2008 financial crisis, they lose their home, they lose their job, they lose their family. You know, something drastic happens and they're completely broken and they have to, they have a hunger. They have a thirst for knowledge. They want to know why, why did this happen? I mean, even as our pound was like that, you know, in, in World War One, uh, you know, lots of artists died. A lot of his artist friends died. And as our pound was like, this, this, why did this happen? And then that's how he got into the Federal Reserve system 
and started. And then, of course, he, he passed on the Eustace Mullins, who came up with the secrets of the Federal Reserve. And now everybody knows it that the Federal Reserve system is totally corrupt and not federal and all that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's how, it's how it happens. You, you know, generally, you know, if you're not awake, you know, it, it takes something big to break you and finally have that hunger, that thirst. Okay, I have to know why this happened. Um, that that might be the key right there is what you just said is having a big event because I was young when 9-11 happened. I was in middle school. So maybe maybe that's uh, one of the reasons, if you will, probably, that, yeah. that I was awake at such a young age, uh, as well as the, like I said, the upbringing and everything. So maybe maybe that's it. Let's get into our first clip of Alan Watt when he talked about groupthink. I mean, I, I can't even overstate how important these clips are, the things that he said. I mean, there's so much. You go to your go to your website and you get all this audio plus so much more of Alan's works. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're just going to give the listener just a small snippet. And it's literally just a small snippet of some of the insights of what he used to talk about. This is a, a clip you sent over. I asked you to pick out some of the best clips that you right. thought. And these were these were three great clips. This was right. his thought on groupthink and our education system. So therefore, you're going through this planned agenda, and most folk never know because you're too busy to know. You've been trained to be to be naive and very ignorant. It's not your fault you're ignorant. My mum used to say that to me too. But this, but yeah, you're you're really brought up to be ignorant and believe what you're told. Why shouldn't you? Every child, every mammal, looks to the adults, uh, and adults show it what to be wary of and what to be wary of and what other species to be wary of too if you don't get it from your parents because they've been brainwashed and kept naivety too then it doesn't get passed on to the children and then schooling takes over like Jacques Elal talked about this too a philosopher and he said the same thing he says it's very important for any state any government to ensure that the children are given their initial indoctrination at school very early. If they don't get that very early at school, then they, they, when, if they get it later in life, they've matured enough to, to see through the indoctrination as, for, as to what it is. So that early indoctrination uh, is awfully, awfully important. When I went to school the first day, I walked out of the classroom. I was only in it for 15 minutes. It's the first thing I noticed. And a woman is awful nice, the teacher. But uh, she, she says, now we'll all clap hands. And I thought, why? Why? I don't want to clap hands. I'd already played in the streets. My, my pals are in the same age. And we don't sit and clap hands or something like that. Like, I don't know, it just seems silly. And uh, and they clap, clap hands and stuff. They'd faster and faster. What in there? What is this? And, and to me, I, from, I honestly have always had it. I've looked, I've looked at adults that pretend as children for the children's sake. It's ridiculous. Because often the children left at their own devices won't do that kind of nonsense, you know. Really? So I, yeah, I walked out the first day and I went home. But I went, I walked first and, uh, and, and it's a bit of the country there is quite nice. But, but that, that's what you, you find. You, you, uniformity is awfully important. You're trained to be uniform. And as time went on, of course, back in, in the 90s again, that's when it first started coming. Suddenly this teacher union is incredibly strong working with the United Nations and Department of Education and, and UNICEF and, and so on. And um, UNESCO, all these groups work with the teachers, all of them, to create a uniformed, dumbed-down public for a global society. 
That's what it's about. And then they brought in schools in the 90s and in 2000, uh, this idea of groupthink, you see, for children. And uh, the idea was, you, you see, one time if you thought, if you really were able to think and put out something interesting in school, you get a little gold star. But I mean, they gave gold stars too for just being a parrot. And, uh, and, and so again, you're, you're being acclimatized to, be, to conform. I'd been a little parrot. But in, again, the 90s and, and in 2000 onwards, it got worse and worse because they didn't want individualism in the school. They didn't want anybody to excel, really. You had to be un- uniformly flat. And, and, if it's, and a lot of it's social engineering about topics and, and social engineering about different, different things that had nothing to do with your basic education, you see. With tuition today, they use groupthink for the children. And I've read the articles and the teachers' uh, toolkits, as they call them, how to train children to give them standardized opinions. So the whole group eventually uh, it bonds together because they go along in their goody two shoes and they're given lots of little rewards. And, and children want to please adults, etc. Especially if they're younger adults, especially if they're female. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And they know exactly how to, to pull it off that way. The, the children see, still have an affinity towards the mums, mothers, and if you get a female teacher, as Bernays would say, it actually helps again uh, to indoctrinate them that way by the same teacher. So the toolkit says to them, you know, how to get them in a group and how to put it across, how to literally nullify dissenters who don't put their hands up, go along with the topic, or the, or the agreements that they come to in conclusions on the topic. And they even come down to shunning those individuals. Again, I stress individuals who who have a contrary outcome of the discussion and they don't go along with the group. They actually have techniques to shun them. This is what's been happening in the schools for years and years now. And that's how you get a uniform, a uniform opinion, groupthink, as they call it, amongst the people who grew up to be adults. And they never really change out of that same groupthink. If the official version comes along, they'll go with it. That's how it works. If you take everything that he just said, and I I know you can apply this to to decades, but just apply this to the last 36 to 48 months. We're there. We're we're absolutely there. The way that people have just in lockstep, just fallen into line, just lined up to to go through all of these, all of these restrictions and, and the stripping away of all of your rights, all of your dignity, all of your beliefs, your values, everything, it's all been removed. And people have been trained to accept that for decades, for at least, at least two, almost three generations. It's no wonder we've seen people fall in line like this. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, the people, you know, they don't, uh, I mean, they're sort of, they're not really, I guess the reason why we describe it as, you know, the walking dead or not being awake is that they're not really fully conscious of what they're really doing. Like, you know, they, they put on the mask, even in the car, like you'll see them. It's like, that doesn't make any logical sense. Why would you do that? It's, they're not really thinking properly. They're just, you know, uh, they, you know, they see the propaganda. They need to wear a mask. It's patriotic to wear a mask. It's a symbol of obedience. It's good to wear a mask. And uh, so they do it. It doesn't matter if it makes zero sense, even, the, you know, according to whatever science they've been, they've been given and what they've been taught in school. Even according to that science, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it, this is a... Uh, you're sort of you're sort of floating through life, and you um, you sort of see the media as an extension of your brain. Alan's mentioned this many times as well. And of course, everybody see everybody else doing it, especially in like a university setting or like a more well-educated setting where people are more 
more well-educated you are, the more conforming generally you're going to be to authority. Um, so you'll, you'll see this and in order to fit in, in order to be one of the good people, you know, it's just, you don't even give, give it a second thought, really. It was terrifying. It was terrifying because, uh, you know, it is harmful, but it's not just the way out mask wearing. Of course, there's other, uh, you know, whether it's vaccination or whether it's, uh, you know, all the different greening sustainability type stuff. You know, we need to offset our carbon. There's even websites now where you can, like, offset your own personal carbon footprint and stuff. And they're actually making lots and lots of money. I think the statistics were it quadrupled over the past year or two. The market for carbon offsets of, of uh, like non-government funded carbon offsets. People are actually doing it. Um, and this is all, uh, it's insane. I mean, it's complete con. I mean, you're not going to be told that by the media. You're not going to be told that in school. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in the minority. I don't know was in the minority. And that's, you know, basically, unless you really have to be an individual in order to really understand reality. I mean, there's no other way around it. You know, I... Um... I, I like his uh, his depiction there where he says that he went to school the first day, he walked to school, and then mm-hmm. he turned around and walked out after 15 minutes after he saw what was going on in there. And, you know, I, I've had that same thought my entire time in, in the educational institutions in the United States. It wasn't the fact that I couldn't do the whatever nonsensical stuff that they gave us. I was always always throughout my entire adolescent, preteen, whatever, always I was saying, explain to me, to to a teacher or to someone that was higher up, explain to me why any of this is relevant. Why do I need to learn this? And I never could get an answer. I never could get an answer. And they sent me through all kinds of testing and and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, do you have a learning disability? Do you have any? And I said, no, they would test me and I would like, I, I would blow through them. I would be above and beyond whatever they would whatever they would throw at me. The only thing that they could surmise was I was not interested in whatever they were teaching. That's the only conclusion right. that they could come to. And this this was this was like um, I want to say I was like nine ten years old when they started with all this nonsense. And that was actually about the time he was talking about in the nineties is when it started to get worse. That's when it started. The, mm-hmm. you know, the gold star and, and everybody it as a group and the one dissenting person, there's something wrong with you, that kind of thing. So yeah. I, I remember that very well. And I, I can't tell you ever since, it, as you said, ever since you started studying on your own, as in like you taking it upon yourself to conduct your own studies into what you believe, not what somebody else pushes on you, like these institutions, <laughs> but what you believe is important, how you shape your own mind, that right. I have learned just like, just as you have, I'm sure. And please tell me if I'm, if I'm incorrect, but I have learned so much more being out of these institutions than I ever learned being in them. I, I was spending thousands Definitely. of dollars in, in universities over there. And I'm like, what for? What, what on earth? Like yeah. you're, you're racking me up with all these, all this debt. And for what? Well, I have to go in and I have to sit down. I have to listen to some lunatic professor that I have that in order for me to pass his course, I have to buy his book. So I have to now uh, conform to his ideology, whatever crackpot theory that is. And I can't think for myself. That was worse than than the uh, the the primary school years. So, no, I remember in school, actually, I think. Okay, you can go. Go on. Yeah, please go on. Okay, I was going to say, when I was in school, I was going to tell you that uh, I had an experience in middle school where I uh, became very attached to, to communism. And the reason why was that I tried to ask my teachers what was bad about communism, and they couldn't tell me. And I just thought, you know, okay, it must be good if they can't, they can't tell me if there's anything wrong with communism. It must be good. And so that was the logic I used. And 
And of course, I actually, once I finally actually sat down and studied communism, which again, they wouldn't teach you uh, all the different ideological and intellectual you know, doctrines behind it and why, you know, what it was. Once I actually studied communism, studied, you know, communist countries and so on, I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Why didn't they teach me this in school? And, uh, well, we know, of course, of course, as I as further in my studies, I figured out why. Because they plan to have a very similar sort of system to communism, socialism. I mean, it's really a technocratic system, but, you know, as far as the lower classes are concerned, you can't really tell the difference between a technocratic system and the communist system anyways. But, you know, so that's the reason why they didn't tell you anything bad about it in school. Finally, you figured that out. It took me a while. So I listened to this uh, this guy who wanted to be an educator. He wanted to go back to university. He wanted to get his master's degree and he wanted to go into high school teaching. He wanted to teach history. I follow his work now because he's one of the very few people that have worked uh, within our government. And this has been many years ago. Uh, he worked within our government and he was one of the people that they would, because uh, he was an expert on the former Soviet Union, and they would go to him for doing the debriefing interviews of KGB defectors and high level political defectors from the Soviet Union whenever they would defect to the West. And so he would conduct the interviews. One of the things that he learned when he went to university was exactly what you just described, was the other people that were to be his um, colleagues when he got to mm -hmm. uh, his uh, his higher degree. They told him while he was in the process of earning his higher degree that he needed to become a communist. He needed to become a Marxist. He yeah. needed to learn Marxist theology before he would be allowed to teach and this is exactly what Alan talked about in the um, uh, in in the clip that we played is the Department of Education being linked in with United Nations, UNICEF, and and these things. That's the ideology that it's pushed at the highest levels. Like that is you're going to learn this ideological uh, way or uh, of collectivism, or you're not going to be allowed to teach. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I think Alan has linked to this before as well. Can't remember exactly what the document was titled, but he's he's linked to documents like where they discuss, you know, the, the, how the different uh, you know Marxist type thinking that they promote in schools, and also I think what was it Zimmerman's People's History of the United States or something they're promoting, which you know basically you know ignored many of the different you know positive aspects of the United States, and they just talked about you know some of the more negative things, which are you know a lot of bad things that happen in the United States, but basically the whole idea was you couldn't be nationalist or to get nationalism out of the children's heads and, you know, different things like that, you know, religion and, and so on. This all comes from, or at least at the top, or, you know, as far as we can see, it's the top, comes from UNESCO, which Julian Huxley was the first CEO of. And, and if you read his books, he's a complete eugenicist. He really didn't see any point in allowing people to be free and prosperous. You know, what would be the point of that? Because, you know, they're just going to eat, consume resources and, and take up space. I mean, ruin all these nice uh, fields and things, you know. So and, and kill all the animals. And so he, he really didn't see much uh, point in allowing people to have much of anything. And he, he definitely and he really wanted purpose made humans, not just people breeding willy nilly and so on. And, and you know, that's what that's the who's really kicked off that UNESCO. And, and there, there's been more recent papers about UNESCO and eugenics that Alan has linked to, you know, showing that, you know, that agenda, that initial agenda, it hasn't changed after all these years. It hasn't. And, you know, I've gone back through some of these books and these are these are college textbooks. Some of these things um, I, I started reading books on um, uh, on ecology, on like human ecology, global ecology. I mean, these are these are college textbooks from like the 60s and, and the 60s and 70s. And prior to that, even back in the 50s, some of them, um, as you said, when we first started uh, talking through email, you said that, well, you're awful busy and it depends on what old dusty book you're into in that time. And I thought, oh, this me and this guy are going to get along great. But uh, they talk about the eugenics movement in these books. And, and these are the guys of the likes of um, 
uh, Paul Ehrlich, his wife, Ann Ehrlich, and mm -hmm. um, guys like uh, John P. Holdren, who just so coincidentally was the science czar under Barack Obama, right. President Obama. And these are these are people that teach at the highest levels of some of our top academic institutions, such as Harvard, uh, Princeton, Yale. They, they lecture at these places, obviously members of, of like uh, the Club of Rome uh, and things like that. We've played clips here of uh, Dennis Meadows, mm -hmm. who wrote Limits to Growth. And right. he's just I mean, these are these are just like these are disgusting individuals as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's just that's despicable. But before we get I mean, we could probably go in and do an entire podcast just on that subject. But unfortunately, due to time constraints, we're going to have to move here. Bruce, your okay. thoughts. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know you stepped away for a second because you had something to tend to. But uh, your thoughts on education, not bringing because I saw you had a lot of nodding and uh, you seem like you could relate to a lot of what was being said there. Yeah, I, I could actually. Um, some of the stuff that uh, Alan was talking about there, the stars. I, I remember that in school. Uh, that was that was during the uh, like it really just started kicking off back in, as he said, in the '90s. And being a '90s kid, born in the '80s, grew up in the '90s. That was all throughout my elementary school. I remember, and this is keep in mind, this is in the 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 middle of the country, right? I, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, so this is Podunk Town, and they were already doing that here in, in Podunk Town. And um, I didn't have many stars uh, growing <laughs> growing up. I was not yeah, I, the, the rebellious person that I am now is what I've always been. Always questioned school uh, growing up. What What's the point of this? Why are we doing this? Why are we learning this? English was one of the subjects I hated the most. Not English in the structure of sentences, but English in the arts and literature, that kind of stuff. That I, I did not like at all. Why do I care what Shakespeare wrote? He's dead, long dead. You know, I mean, those kind of things. And, and uh, I, I get it now. I understand the reasoning, but... Uh, the way it was presented back then, it was not done well. Education was horrible growing up. You, you had to basically they just taught you to pass a test and they didn't actually teach you, as we've talked, to think for yourself to they, they just wanted you into the group think. And that that was very much the case in, in even even in Podunk Town here, which you would think would be surprising because this this is. This is the heartland country. Like this is where you have a lot of your military types, the the really patriotic types. This is where they're raised is in these podunk towns. So it's it, it, it's surprising in that sense, but at the same time, not so much when you see the recent stuff with the transgendering of of everything and and where they do the drag queen story hour and all of those. It's at the heart of the country. They're they're doing it in the very root of where. Americana, where where everybody is patriotic, right? That's where they're doing it. And they're intentionally doing it in those locations because of that. But to the education point, um, that is their indoctrination centers now. And, and you guys probably, when I stepped away, um, I, I imagine you hit all of that. Um, it's just all the way up from the top university level, all the way down, you're, you're being indoctrinated. You're being taught how to group think. And you're not taught anymore to think for yourself. And that, I guess, is where uh, if you were raised in like, for example, uh, uh, you're a hunter or, or a fisher or, you know, you're taught those kind of critical thinking skills uh, to a degree because you have to be able to uh, read a map as an example. So you have to be able to critically reason, OK, this landmark is here. This landmark is here. That means I'm here on the map. You know, I mean, you have to be able to. So in, in a sense, if you're raised in those environments uh, i guess you're already kind of questioning everything to begin with uh, when i think when i think of family and everything they're kind of 
everybody's uh, that th- that's where they are is they're hunters, fishers, or or you know outdoorsy type, and that they they all have a mind of their own, if you will. It's kind of a so I don't know if there's something there to that, but anyway, but yeah. It's interesting that comment you made about you know not finding Shakespeare interesting in school. I think. When I was in school, I, rem- I distinctly remember that, you know, all these old books and things like Aristotle and so on, they're all obsolete. I was told in school and that we shouldn't be reading them. And uh, that's, that's literally part of what school is designed to do. You're not supposed to be looking at the earlier generations. I mean, in, in the Soviet Union, Alan Watt has mentioned this numerous times that, that, you know, they told not to trust anybody over 30, over the age of 30. And eventually they lowered to the age of 25 or something, I believe. Or maybe that was in communist China. I can't remember exactly where. It was one of those communist countries. And I think, you know, it's a similar sort of thing, what we have now, and for quite some time now, and or really for actually probably like 100 years now, I would say, and in the United States and other Western countries is that we have uh, this sort of, we want to disconnect from the past. We, we're not supposed to be reading, you know, the thoughts of earlier generations because they have politically incorrect ideas. They have dangerous ideas, radical ideas, uh, you know, superstitious ideas. Is it because of that, you know, it's bad to be reading these earlier books, especially if you're not reading them in conjunction with all the latest books, which are generally turned out from, you know, professors at universities and so on, promoting whatever the the next phase of the agenda is, you know? So, you know, that's another part of education that, you know, I think is very interesting it what is. they do to us, how they're so dismissive of earlier thinkers and earlier generations' thoughts. That's exactly where we are today. If you look at it, because you look at the university student, well, uh, or or even even going to like elementary and high schooler, you're taught don't trust your parents anymore. You don't trust your teacher when it comes to education and everything. And even though I was raised to like, you know, you go to your parents for help when it comes to like education and everything. They they help you with your homework and all that kind of stuff. Though most of the time, I uh, there was a few projects that I obviously got help with. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you're you're taught to. Only go to your peers or to your teacher. They're they're the ones that that are, and it's kind of the same way with university. Uh, if you don't have a, a higher education like that, a degree, then oh, clearly you're not intelligent. Clearly you're the uneducated mass. You know you're the filthy, unwashed, uh, you know peasant. Uh, that that's kind of the mindset and the 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 attitude that you get from a lot of uh, university students nowadays, and even even some of the older university like. I have family that are older that they have the same mentality. It, it, it's like you're uneducated if you don't go to university. It's it's more than that, though, I, I think. I mean, everything you guys are talking about, it's all relevant, of course, but it's more than that. And just to expound upon that, it's an attack on our culture. It's, it's an attack on every aspect of our culture. They've gotten to us through education, and they're hitting us through the culture warfare front as well. And right, I, and it doesn't stop with education either. It goes through entertainment no, as well. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that now. Uh, this is a clip I have. That This is one of the clips that I picked out of Alan. Uh, and then we've got two more that you sent in. Uh, we're going to hit those right after this one. This is about, nice. again, this, this is about eight minutes long. But the reason that it's eight minutes long, he literally compresses the last 100 years of these establishments. The last 100 years. Think about that for just a minute. He compresses the last 100 years in eight minutes. Eight minutes. Unbelievable how he breaks this down. Listen to this. 
about a hundred years ago, this big organization with many branches, they wanted to rule the world basically using Britain as a nucleus of a system, an embryo, which also was going to be joined with the US under the Anglo-American establishment, wrote about the kind of culture and the changes of culture over a hundred year period that they would actually design. We're all tribal to an extent, that's why we even bother to vote for a tribal leader. Uh, this is well understood, that's why we're supplied with these leaders. And because the average man was to become more disengaged from his own destiny as the expert class arose, it was decided that, that the males would get their, their, their outlet basically, gradually becoming helpless as the males through sports. Therefore, they'd have a tribal team they could identify with, they could cheer them on as they were winning. In their own personal lives, they were getting nowhere, they were getting disenfranchised in a sense as experts took over um, decision-making for them in all kinds of fields. So this was psychology at use, uh, planned before they even implemented the sports. When radio came along, of course, they, they, they used that to the maximum. Uh, sports for the men, soaps basically for the women, and then in came television with its alpha state, its hypnotic state, and men became glued to the sports shows. As I say, since the 1960s, um, once television really, really took off, sports used to only come out on Saturdays, and over a 10-year period, it gradually came on every night of the week. Until today, we have even sports channels, sports, sports, sports. And we see guys who are sitting home, who are basically powerless at work, they have bosses, they're powerless uh, on, on the roads, there's, there's police and traffic wardens and cops watching them. They have no means to, to feel strong. And so they tend to watch sports as a, a substitute. They project themselves into a game which they never participate in. But as long as their team wins, they feel something's happening in their life that's positive and it's successful. It's a very good substitute for many, many things as far as the elite are concerned. The intention being ultimately to alter society, drastically alter it so much uh, that even the purpose, for instance, of marriage would uh, lose any appeal. You don't realize they brought in the miniskirt back in the 1920s during Prohibition. They brought in cocaine at the same time as well, along with the booze. To get young people in, the idea being uh, that uh, if you're doing something illegal, it's very naughty. Uh, youngsters love to break the rules, get together, we're all being naughty together. And sex and booze, you know, coupled with coke being smuggled in at that time, had its uh, desired effects. So they came out, as they say, with uh, not sex and rock and roll, but sex in a form of jazz. The Charleston dance came in, uh, the miniskirt came in, sex became rather rampant for the first time. All the old traditional taboos were broken with one generation, but there was fallout to this change, this massive change in culture. The fallout being uh, that they did not have the antibiotics to treat all the sexually transmitted disease that came along. Secondly, they didn't have the legal abortion clinics to take care of uh, the unwanted children that also were produced by hyper-promiscuity. They opened up big orphanages to try and take care of this, the boys' towns that once were girls too. But there was so much backlash, especially in the United States, uh, from the old uh, Christian communities, that they had to tone it all down, it kind of flopped. Sexually transmitted disease became rampant, so did unwanted pregnancies and abortions. And so they went back to the drawing board, because remember, before this all happened, uh, the big players, the new high priesthood, we'll call them, 
of uh, the Time Lords, those who create the future, work in think tanks for the big establishment, had a definite mandate. The only problem was how do you achieve that mandate over a time period. And they've always known, for instance, in wartime, more children are produced because people, young people who might go off to die tomorrow tend to be far more promiscuous. They brought this back after World War II big time and worked on it steadily. All our tax money went into one particular area of research, not just for the atomic weaponry and so on. It went into finding ways of finding a contraceptive that was effective. When they found it and launched it on the scene, at the same time as it was launched what they called pop music, along with drugs, LSD and so on, they brought the contraceptive. So then permission was given in a sense and promoted from the top down, even from the BBC, which is member, the BBC is owned by the British government. It's an arm of the British government. It talks on behalf of the dominant minority who rule Britain. So they began to promote all this stuff. All the DJs they'd bring on television, would interview top pop stars of the day. They were all stoned out their minds. Some of them were falling out of chairs. And the interviewers would say, gee, he, aren't we naughty children? All aimed at a young generation to emulate. This is what we do, monkey see, monkey do. Once again, remember the prime intent was to break the old culture of boy meets girl um, going together for a while, getting engaged, getting married, having children. The family unit, they'd said when they had the League of Nations, which was the precursor of the United Nations, said they'd have to destroy the family unit. Pretty well all of H.G. Wells's non-fiction books uh, promotes all of this agenda. And in fact, he coined the term in the late 1800s. This is how far back this agenda for a promiscuity had to go. He coined the term uh, free love. And in one of his books written before 1890, he says, we must uh, promote free love in order to destroy and end the obsolete family unit. Once that's done, he said, uh, the family is no longer in the way when government comes for an individual. Each individual will be solely responsible to the government itself, and no family will stand up around them like a primitive tribe and defend them. At the same time, the foundations within the United States and Britain and elsewhere um, were funding what appeared to be far-left groups, communist groups. So much so to say the Rees Commission went in to look into this from the 50s uh, to find out why top capitalists who owned international corporations and banks, international banks, were, were putting up foundations to fund far-left groups. Well, we know now it was, it was to, to literally destroy the old culture in order to bring in the new culture, the new society. So therefore you have the proliferation of sexual activity. The fallout still came from uh, unwanted pregnancies, far reduced than it had before because of contraception. But then came the lead of the feminist charge, again funded by the Rockefeller Foundation in the States, to spearhead and demonstrate and demand the rights for abortion. If they could get the public to devalue human life, and that's in the writings of Julian Huxley. He says, if we need society to devalue human life, he says, and take humanity off its pedestal as a supreme being on the planet, uh, then, he said, we can bring our, in our controlled uh, society uh, with a workable population. Everything works within culture towards an agenda. And as Plato said so long ago, over 2,300 years ago, culture and cultural changes must be authorized from the top. If it's grassroots, truly grassroots, then it's outside 
of elites control and ripple effects could, could occur and it could spread anywhere, they couldn't control it, contain it anymore. Therefore, the major changes in culture, which Plato said came through drama and the emulation of actors, actresses, including fashions that they wore and the music they heard, had to be strictly regulated and authorized from the top. The whole science of this, which was always a science, and understood by those in those businesses, was used to the maximum to literally alter, drastically alter culture so radically in the 60s and 70s that they could never return to a past way of living. Who would like to start first? All right, I guess I did have a little comment that I'd like to make. Um, I thought, uh, you know, as he was mentioning the, um, you know, the feminism and the breakup of the family unit and so on, both sexual pro promiscuity and booze and so on. I was thinking, uh, you know, something I had read recently I hadn't finished reading it, but I had recently read a, a book called Empty Planet, The Shock of Global Population Decline, where basically they show that the UN's projections for the future, you know, there's going to be 11 point something billion people by the end of the, the century. It's all nonsense. And a large part of the reason, at least, of course, this is the authorized, just, you know, a publicly authorized reason, you know, they can't dig deep, too deep into this. But if you go off, just, just off the fertility rates alone, the fertility rates are so low that uh, the population is definitely going to decline drastically by mid-century. It's going to start declining, and then, you know, by the end of the century, you know, I think they were projecting that China would lose over 600 million people just off of the current fertility rates. Um, so, and Japan's already been using, losing people. Eastern Europe's already been losing people. Uh, Cuba's been, interestingly enough, it's always the former socialist, the former Soviet Union, you know, that Georgia, uh, you know, uh, Lithuania, places like that, they're all losing population. Poland, Poland's losing. But yeah, like in Italy as well, some places in, in Western Europe are already right now. And then more and more places as, as, the, as the century goes on, you get further and further in the century, they're going to decline. And uh, I think the book was, was written by two Canadians, Bricker and Ibbotson, I think are their names. But yeah, it was just came out a few years ago just talking about how rubbish, you know, the population, the projections are now. That's, and that's part of the agenda. And of course, the breakup of families, the idea of feminism, economic independence for women, women should be educated to the exact same jobs. And should participate in the economy and, and contribute to the tax base, double the tax base for the government. You know, this is all, it just, it's not just, you know, the double the tax base. It's also greatly going to lower the population, which is, you know, repeatedly, you, you know, by many different states, by Prince Philip and others, Sierra Club. Paul Ehrlich was one other person who talked about, we need to drastically reduce the population. Henry Kissinger. So this is, uh, it, it, you can really see, once you look into it, you just need, need a little digging and you can easily find, okay. This agenda is really going to, is really, we're really on track. This agenda is actually going to happen. Yeah, you're, you're talking about uh, these numbers that uh, that's coming out of the United Nations and how they're just, they're bull. Uh, and I, I have to yeah. agree because if you look at these, you mentioned China. All right, that's a, that's a great example. Let's look at China. China has probably, next to Japan, I think Japan has probably the worst demographics on the planet. Uh, Germany right. is a, a, like a second, third, or fourth. It's in the top five. Like they're having 1.2 children here. That's not enough. That, that is not enough to sustain a population. China, mm -hmm. China has had a serious demographic problem ever since they implemented the one-child policy. That was the deal. That was originally the deal. You adopt the one China, or the one China, the one China policy. You adopt the one child policy in China. Mm -hmm. They will industrialize them. That was the deal that, that they had with the, uh, the the Western power brokers, if you will. Mm -hmm. That was the whole uh, premise behind that. And you can see that their demographics have suffered a serious serious hit because of that. You look at Russia, Pavel was yeah. actually running our uh, Russian uh, American citizen now, uh, but he 
ran the numbers and he looked at 1984. 1984, the population of the Soviet Union was 240 million, I believe, or, or Russia at the time was was popular population of 240 million. And now they're down to, I'd say, less than half of that. Now, why is that? Why, why is that the case? Well, we looked into it. If you look at where Joseph Stalin was, right, horrible communist dictator, if you're looking at where he was, where he stood on the family unit, he didn't really attack the family unit too awful bad. Once Stalin was gone, once he once he died, all of the Marxists that were part of his rule or, or whatever it was that he had going on there, all, all the people that were in his entourage, they brought in state-sanctioned abortion after Stalin was gone in the 50s. And then, of course, that takes time. You don't see the fallout of that right away. You see the fallout of that one, two, three generations into it. And of course, look at where they are now. They've lost more than half their population just from that aspect alone. Look at the United States. I mean, we're, we're what, 60 million? That's rough. I mean, that's just a, a guesstimate. But these organizations that uh, that come in here, the Rockefeller Foundation, they're the one. I mean, like they're they're the ones that brought it in. If you read about Margaret Sanger, hell, Margaret Sanger. If you read Eco Science, right, that's a very difficult book mm -hmm. to get your hands on. But if you can get your hands on it, don't pass it up. <laughs> yeah. I I found that I found a copy of that book. It was a used copy. I found it for thirty bucks. I didn't even think like I I think I broke the order button. How fast I was smashing it when I saw that. I've seen <laughs> a book go for almost two thousand dollars. That is a book to have. First, if you if you the first global revolution, the first global revolution by Club of Rome is also another one of oh, ridiculous yeah. ridiculously priced. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, I've looked at that. Yeah. Um, but the um, and that's a lot of good information in that book too. But yeah. um, in that book, they talk about how Margaret Sanger was a heroine. You know, Paul Ehrlich and, and John P. Holdren, they talk in that book about how she was mm -hmm. a heroine. She was a she was a heroine to the depopulation movement. She was given awards by the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Germany under the Nazis for the work that she did mm -hmm. in eugenics. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood, funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. Right. So, I mean, th there's so much that, uh, that we can go over there. I mean, we've got the rise of the expert class, right? <laughs> the expert class, really? Oh, yeah. The last, the the last few years, my God. Name. Oh, geez. Sports? Seriously? Like, don't get me wrong. I love a good game, right? I, I mean, I, I was a big baseball mm -hmm. fan. Not anymore because of the times, but I was a big baseball fan. <laughs> Played baseball for 14 years of my life. I can't say I'm not a fan. But really, now, in, in the middle of all this, you want to pay attention to sports? You still want to do that? Really? Th this is the most exciting time to be alive. Like, this is a this is a once-in-a-generation fight, and all you want to do is watch a ball game. Really? Like I, I don't even I don't even think about that. That doesn't even cross my mind. I'm like, man, there's so much more exciting stuff going on right here that we can talk about. And like I, I get more excited talking about these kind of conversations that we're having now and talking about these groups of people that are being discussed that that Alan talked about that I ever got watching like a, a sporting event. Like that, that's so much more exciting to me to to learn about the real world. It just, it is to me. Don't get me wrong. As I said, I, I like a good game, but now's not the time for it. We can get into all the, uh, you know, the, the different things in there, but uh, Bruce, you look like you, uh, you look like you want to jump in there. You, I know you had a lot to say when we first watched that clip offline, we were reviewing it a few weeks ago, but you were specifically focused on the, uh, the women's emancipation movement when they started that. And we actually played a clip of Aaron Russo not too long ago where he was talking to, uh, he was a good friend of Nick Rockefeller and he was talking about, uh, Rockefeller was talking about that to him saying, hey, what do you think women's emancipation, what do you think that was all about? And Russo said, oh, you know, he was pretty innocent about the whole thing. He says, oh, you know, women's uh, right to vote and pay taxes and, and get out of the workforce. And he says, you're an idiot. That's not what it was about. He says, we funded that. 
and it was about destroying the family. Yeah, yeah that was um, that was kind of a. I've kind of had a, an issue with uh, the women being in like not okay, so not in the workforce. I'm I'm kind of a sexist by today's standards because I don't want to see women in the military. I don't want to see them in uh, like uh, government high up positions like president. I don't want to see a woman president. You know those kind of things. Um, but how, what do you know? I'm I'm a sexist after all uh, by today's standards. But that's mainly because of I, I don't think that's their strength in those leadership positions. Um, as an example, emotion gets too in the way. Uh, empathy gets in the way. You, sometimes you need that cold brute force that a man brings. And, and unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think women should be in the workforce either, uh, in a sense, because um, there's so much that was lost when they started joining the workforce. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be equals in society. I, 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 they are equals. I mean, like without women in society, um, it's a huge loss for hum humanity as a whole. But uh, as far as bringing them in to tax them, to uh, bring them into the workforce, now you have uh, all, the all the kids are going to school now. So now they're getting the government indoctrination. Um, Without that, you would have had women at home helping raise the kids uh, and, and you would have had morals and ideologies that the family had, you know, the critical thinking and everything instilled in the kids more so than uh, the way it is now. So, family history, too, is typically taught by women to children, or at least it used to be, not anymore. Yeah. yeah and all of that is lost. Like it's it's a um, it, well. And the other thing is, is how much. How much more would we, would we have the uh, uh, repopulation of the planet? I mean, how, how many more kids would people have? Because now the women are at home, they can raise the kids instead of being focused on their careers and everything. So it's a detrimental loss for that uh, as in a sense as well. So um, God, there's there's so many things that are tied to that. And I, I don't I don't really know which way to go with it. But all that to say, I, I think that was a, a net loss that 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 was. Um, and yet it's also it, what's shift. interesting it's also a radical shift. It, it, it gives them an opportunity to radically shift the culture. Like he said, with it was basically, and, and I'm just like, these are my own words, just the, based on the way that Alan was describing it in that clip. I, I, I look at it as like a shock and awe campaign, what they did in the 60s and 70s with the, uh, the hippie movement and all that stuff. I mean, they were able to just turn everything. And I, in my humble opinion, at least our generation, that's what we're dealing with. Um, if you look at the people that took over in government positions, state-run positions, establishment positions, they all started to take over in the 80s. And they were out of the uh, they were out of the colleges or out of their high schools, out of their parents place in the 70s. And they started taking over positions of power in the 80s. If you get all the old guard out of there, that allowed them to grease the skids up into the 90s. And quite frankly, once you get into the turn of the century, that's when our generation was supposed to take over. And we didn't. They stayed in power. They made sure that people like us didn't get the reins of power and threw them out on their sorry asses. And that's why we're dealing with this fallout of this situation now, in my humble opinion. I've, it's just just my opinion. I've got another, um, I'm, I'm going to be uh, sexist again here, because uh, this, this is something else that I re uh, was reminded of. If you look at the demographics right now, the people that support Biden, the people that support transgenderism, the people that support um, the, the, God, the having transgenders playing women's sports, men in women's sports, men in women's bathroom, all these these, these kind of things. You look at the demographics of who's doing that. White suburban moms. It's it's women that are doing this. It all boils down to though. It comes back to what we were talking about earlier with education and with um, the the group think. It, it it's 
that that that's what it is. I mean, they've they've succumbed to the group think, if you will. It, this is the uh, uh, okayed, uh, government-approved agenda, and they they've just jumped on board with it because you know we have to be accepting, we have to be considerate of everyone, right? Uh, love is love, as as we just talked about uh, in there. So that that's what it's boiled down to now. Alan Watt used to say as well, and I remember mentioning this quite a few times that uh, you know women. They're much more concerned with security and planning than men are, and they uh, and also you know in in a particularly like a socialist type state, which is basically what we're in, the government basically they look to the government, they look to uh, the they're the first ones to you know not to accept you know because the man rather than you know, look to the man, they're looking to the government now for their for help for security, and so you know basically whatever the government is promoting or whatever the, the you know whatever they feel it's about the powerful people who can help them be secure are promoting, they're going to go along with. Um, whereas you know men are tend to distrust, they tend to be more suspicious and you know, more conservative. They don't like they don't like change and stuff. And that's the rise of the totalitarian state, which is what we want to talk about next. And I, I found it rather fitting that he mentioned in that last clip that a lot of these institutions, these international banks specifically, uh -huh. these international corporation heads, they fund far left communist groups. Why is that? Is it so they can be destructive and bring about the new society, as he said? Hmm, I think so. Let's listen to what Alan Watt had to say about totalitarianism. And we know the Soviets killed millions of people. And the Bolsheviks, oh, the slaughters was incredible. They still know that there's, that there's massive, massive fields in different parts of the Soviet Union uh, with, with uh, layers and layers and layers of bodies that were mass executed. Uh, this, this, this is the people's, this was the people's army that did it, you know, the people's army. Uh, on behalf of the people. You know, as it, they, they always take over the same uh, the same authority it's for the for the good of the people. So, on behalf of the people, we will execute you, because you are enemies of the state. You are enemies of the people. You're seeing it emerge today with the COVID thing. You, you must wear those. You're enemies of the people. You know, you're dangerous to them, and that's a, a, a quick judgment and some batons and crashes in the skull. And that's it. That's where you are with this technique, and uh, it doesn't really change too much on that level. But most folk will go quietly to the end uh, without question. That's the sad part. I can't say enough about what happened with the Soviet system. And uh, the Nazis used it again against people who, uh, you know, the source enemies of the, uh, Germany or the people. And uh, and that film of folk literally running in, one, you know, like one group after another. It's your turn now. And they'd run into this into this dug pit, and then they get they get shot, and down they went. The next group, and it's folk watching it. They think when it comes our turn, it won't happen. That's what you think, you see. And the Soviets were masters. The Soviets actually sent out cards that were delivered to folks' homes by couriers when they when they came into a new territory and were taken over. The Bolsheviks, you see. And the Bolsheviks were ferocious. They hated everybody, you know, except themselves. They sent out these, these little cards that were delivered, and, and when any Poland did the same thing too. 
and you get a little card and it'll say you attend so-and-so house, it may be the, the mayor's house or something that was taken over as a headquarters and, and you'd walk in there and you'd be led and you wouldn't see many folk, there was like crowds of people and you would just go along the corridor for instance and the guy would point there, you point in this room and then you go down the steps and in the basement, as you were going through the basement they shoot in the back of the head and that was it. very efficient and they had pulleys in the whole bit would just drag the bodies up through the coal shoes and then they would dump them into, there's even old film of this stuff, you know very efficient it was, but every person, they think, well, if they're sent for me, they want you to talk to me. That's the first thing, you, because you will not think the worst, you see. They want to talk to me, and away you go, and, uh, and you never get anybody to talk to, because eventually you get shot in the back of the head as you've just passed another door, that's what happens. But the same thing with these big pits that they dug in Ketchum, you know, there's another one too, incredible horror story there as well. And another, like Bulgaria had it too, fantastic videos of survivors of some of these camps that did work with the, with the, the slaughtered bodies of their compatriots and horrific, horrific things. This, this is what uh, totalitarian brings, uh, a totalitarian society brings to you. You know, the clips we played last week of Yuri Bezmenov, he described not in detail like that, but he described basically mm-hmm. the same thing. He said, you people that think you're going to go along with this and you're going to get a seat at this table, you're not. You're going to get lined up against the wall and shot. And quite frankly, the way that Alan just described it, that's more horrendous. And we're not, we're not just picking on the Soviet Union here. This happened in Nazi Germany, too. Any form of Marxist totalitarianism that rises up happened in Castro's Cuba, as I mentioned when we talked about ideological subversion, happened in Pol Pot's Cambodia, the Mountain of Skulls, the Khmer Rouge. I mean, it, this is a it's a constant trend over and over and over again in history, and we just we just can we we seem to just keep repeating it. Yeah, he made an interesting you know comment, Alan did uh, in that clip just now, where he said uh, you know, people don't want to think the worst; they always want to think, oh, you know, they just want to talk to me, or oh, that that vaccine. You know, the adverse events are rare. You know, the government wouldn't put it out if it, if it wasn't, if the adverse effects are rare, even if they have heard of the adverse effects. And so, you know, they don't, I'll go get the shot because it won't be me, uh, you know, or I won't be the one who loses my job or, you know, gets, uh, you know, put in prison or worse or killed, you know, when uh, whenever, you know, they, they update the system and I'm no longer useful. You know, we don't, uh, you know, people... They always think that, you know, somehow they're going to be okay. And I think a lot of that is, it can be applied to the recent vaccination campaign. Oh, I'm going to be okay. It's a, it's a rare, I don't have any allergies or anything, you know. Uh, you know, I, I can get the shot and be fine, right? My parents and my other, I know people who got the shot and were fine. And so they, they go and get the shot and blood clots or whatever. And myocarditis yeah. is terrible. It it is it is you're 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 absolutely right and you know it's it, it's interesting he actually mentioned the uh, the the COVID uh, agenda in there and how they they single out people and it's it, it forces people into that dialectic and and if you look if you read Marx and you understand how Marxist mm-hmm. theology works his theory is based on dialectical materialism so it's a, a thesis and an antithesis and you're going back and forth in that dialectic until you end up with a truth and then that becomes the new thesis then you form an antithesis and the process repeats until eventually you get to a utopia, which is right. But uh, anyway, this is the process that they operate on. And it's the same way with targeting their political opposition. It's a dialectic process. It's the same thing. One group against another. The COVID agenda, as Alan mentioned, right? They're singling out people. They're pitting one group against another. And as you just mentioned, 
pitting one group against another, uh, vaxxed and unvaxxed, whatever, masked, unmasked, whatever. You know, it was a splitting of that group, this group, that group. And then are you boosted? Because if you're not boosted, then you're not vaccinated. And then are you twice boosted? Are you three times, five times, 10 times, whatever it is now? Then you're splitting that group again and again and again as you extrapolate that that figure out. And then most recently, now that COVID's not a talking point anymore, now that we've moved on, now, at least in the United States, you're a MAGA terrorist, right? We're going to have to do something about those MAGA people, right? You're you're hearing Biden talk about that. Again, one group against another. We had a case, uh, Bruce, you mentioned it last week or uh, the other day about uh, the guy that ran over the uh, the conservative. He's sitting there talking to the judge. He says, what did I do wrong? I'm just I'm I'm protecting myself against an extremist. What what did I do wrong? They're normalizing it. They're promoting it in politics in mainstream politics from the top down, as Alan described, from the top down. And then Mm -hmm. the media is enabling it and social media is amplifying it. And it becomes normal in society based on the way that we've been brought up. Yeah. The masking issue was fascinating to watch because you had, uh, you know, different policemen and so on. Like you think it, you know. Oh, that would never happen in my generation. Like you, you could see videos of the policemen just tackling people and actually hitting them with uh, batons and so on. If we're not wearing a mask, that's all. Even if they claim they had a medical exemption and everything, they'd still just, you know, you saw people. I think there's a video from here in the United States during like a football game or something. Really, just saw you know, man, just you know, single out this one girl, you know, in the middle of a, a game and just said, and hey, people sat there. Mask. And, I saw that, and, and people, and people sat, there sat there and watched. There. And did nothing. And she's effect, she's being yeah. dragged away by that ridiculous cop. She's being dragged away. And she says, okay. so we're all together, huh? Yeah, we're, we're all together. We're all in this together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad, but it, that is the nature of humanity. You have to realize, you know, you know, the group's not going to stand up for you. They sort of keep their heads down because they, they hope they won't be noticed. They won't be singled out. They always think, you know, again, they don't want to think the worst. And so, you know, they think rather than, you know, say, hey, this needs to stop and stand up and try to prevent it, which they could have stopped that cop if they really wanted to. They, you know, they didn't. And that tells you a lot. OK, so how much, how big of a you know, responsibility, how big of a risk it is to stand out? And but at the same time, you know, how important it is as well, because there are so few people willing to do it. Bruce, your thoughts. And then we'll get to our, uh, our final clip here on solutions to all of this. So. I had uh, I had a discussion with uh, someone. It's been years back now, but uh, kind of an argument, almost not not an argument, but a debate as to staying whether to stay quiet and you know keep your head down and just you know do almost do what you're told to to just get through things to get by. In this reference, we were talking about uh, education system, uh, and and you know I I was one to not keep my head down to uh, do as I was told to to keep the peace and just get through it. I didn't do that. I fought and resisted the best way I knew how at the time, um, and uh, it wasn't the right way. Uh, didn't really do any good, but. It's what I knew to do in the moment. And this individual was about doing exactly that. Keeping quiet. Just just don't don't rock the boat. Just do it to get by, you know, and I'm all like, you have to stand up against this when there's something wrong like this. You have to stand uh, as the old saying is, uh, you know, you stand for something or you'll fall for anything. That's exactly kind of what I was trying to say is you have to stand. Uh, and And when you've done everything you can to stand, continue to stand. And and that that's that's just kind of where where I've come from in this, and, and and that's what I encourage others to do. Just 
Keep standing. Stand on what you know to be right. You've got to. Yeah. One of the things we've always promoted here is for you to think for yourself. And I'm talking about as you, the listener, who, whoever you are, wherever you are. I mean, we're listened to in, in over 25 countries every day. And it's, it's very humbling to, to see that and, and to hear that, that people listen to us and, and care what just average people like ourselves have to say. But as you said, Bruce, we have to and you said that too, Weston, we have to. This is the time that we have to stand up. We have to. I mean, I, I see evil and I, I mean, I can't even describe it as evil. Like this is beyond, this is beyond evil. This is beyond anything that I, that I read about. Like this is, this is terrible. I, like I don't even, I don't even have ways that I can describe it to the average person when somebody says, dumb it down for me. Um, what do you say to that? How do you want me to take this entire conversation? And we're just scratching the surface. We could go probably six hours on all this stuff. Easy. And like, how do you dumb this down to somebody? And I, I see this and my only instinct, my only instinct is you fight this with every damn bit of energy and strength and stamina that you've got. Because if you don't, then you're going to be one of those people that Alan talked about in the Soviet Union that gets led down a, a dark stairway somewhere and you don't come back. You know, I, I read and I, Weston, I don't know if you've read these. I've read the entire collected works of the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I've got all three. That's one of the ones I haven't read yet. Oh, my. You're, I, haven't read I, I will show you which ones out, to get. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I will show you which okay. ones to get. I have not read the abridged version. I've read the full mm -hmm. Monty. I mean, all three volumes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. His accounts of what he went through in the Soviet Union is beyond comprehension for the average person. Mm. I don't want to be that. I, I don't want to be what happened in Nazi Germany. I don't want to go down that road. That's why I'm sitting here doing this. Our past generations, my, my grandparents' generation, they fought in the Second World War. We owe them. Forget what our parents did. I mean, as we played in the clip that Alan said that, you know, your parents, they're naive and they got indoctrinated and, the, and they just allowed you to put your guard down and go along with things. We cannot be that if we want to have any kind of a future. We just can't do it. Yeah, there is I, no future if you go along with the system. No, there isn't. There, there, I mean, they, there's you're no. in the middle of a coal right now. Yeah, th this is it. Th like we fight now yeah. or, or that's it. We're done. We're done. We owe our grandparents' generation, the greatest generation, whatever you want to call them, we owe that generation. At least I feel like I do. And if, if you got kids, you owe them. You got grandkids, you owe them. You want great grandkids? Do you want kids? Are you younger? Are, are you young enough? Are you in your 20s, in your 30s? Do you want kids? Do you want to have more kids? Do you want them to have a future? Do you want them to have children? I mean, these are all things that, that run through my mind every single day. And so the most important thing that I can impart to people and I think all of us are, are kind of unanimously or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, we all kind of agree on the same thing. And this is this is one of the things that, that Alan talked about throughout his talks and everything is, is to think on your own. You've got to think for yourself. Do not go along with the group. If you'd gone along with the group, you'd have been where Weston talked about. I'll just do whatever. I'm not going to be that person. Keep my head down. I'm not going to be that. And, and I'll, I'll get along through and I'll get just no, until the group doesn't need you. And then you're tossed aside. You become that number. That's not me. That's not me. And that's not going to be me. And that's not going to be any of us. And people, they, they ask me, they say, what, what can I do? What can I do? I, I've, I get people asking me that all the time. What can I do? And I say, it's as easy as just thinking on your own and talking to other people, networking with other people. We're all about the local politique here. 
right? We've tried this top-down government stuff. How's that working out for us? We've tried this global system for the last hundred years. How's that worked out for us? No, we've got to get back to what actually worked, what made sense, what gave people a say in society, what allowed us to become as strong, as rich, and as powerful as we have here in the West. It's the family. It's a solid foundational institution in and of itself that is self-supporting. When you have that, they become powerless at the top. Why do you think that they attacked our family starting 100 years ago? That's where it all started. It's been a long road for them. So as Alan talks about in this last clip that you sent over, Weston, this is our journey. Uh This is it. This is the time where we must think for ourselves. You got anything you want to say before I play it? Yeah, I I, lo- I love this clip. Um, I thought it really struck me when I was first heard it. You know, as I was editing a transcript, I was like, you know what? This is probably one of the best clips. You know, so I, I saved it. And then, of course, when you asked me to provide clips, I was like, oh, I got to do this one. But no, I think it, he cuts right to the heart of the matter in this clip. He tells you, you know, well, I'll let you hear the clip. Okay. And I, I don't write mass, not these days, I don't write, write massive tomes, you know, of, of histories. It's all been done before. You have to start thinking for yourself. It's almost like um, the Rubayat of Omar Khayyam, where what it means, uh, the Rubayat too, is almost like reading between lines. Words should, 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 and and sentences conjure up images that then come between lines. They, They form their own invisible lines between the lines to give you this, this overview of what you're reading as you're reading it. It gives you an inner meaning to it. And um, it's very important. So this was a standard art at one time because a lot of, of how your mind really is meant to work is with intuition. And intuition has clues. It's like it's like um, prompting. You get prompting from from things you see, hear, or, or listen, even listen to people chat about certain things. You get little insights and prompts, and these these are meant to work with your intuition. And suddenly things just fall into place, as opposed to a, a standard education or, or, or in an indoctrination into one particular area of things. You, you, you'll find that there are other ways of learning which are natural and they've always been here, always existed. And the, some of the greatest thinkers down through time allowed their minds to work for themselves by using the intuition that comes with observance and thought itself. You can't really do it when you're really in a thick, densely populated city, not so easily. You definitely need peace and quiet at times to ruminate. It's a good, a good word to ruminate, you know, about things. Because that's, you might not think you're really learning or discovering something at that time. But what you can think in one particular evening will come back again later once it's been thought. This is the whole thing. It will come back again later and, and be part of something bigger. All things fall into place like a jigsaw puzzle. And it's a very important way of seeing and doing. Because you are some, believe you me, you're, you're, you're just, put it this way, you're just as important, eh? You Meaning you're, you're, you're probably more important, but you're at least just as important as any specialist that's out there telling you how to behave and what to do or at this present time. Of course you are. Of course you are. A famous person once said, he said, even the top, uh, you know, genius with all the letters behind their names from universities and awards and titles still has to drop their pants and go to the toilet the same way as you do. 
In other words, folk are dressed up in fancy titles and fancy this and fancy that. But they really have no no other right to rule you and tell you what to do or how to behave or what to think than anybody else, you see. This is your journey through through the the walk on the, the world here on top of the planet. It's yours, not theirs. You know, let's let, let, leave them with theirs, but they won't leave you alone with yours, will they? You know, I impart to people all the time because people they they hear us and they they thank me for what I do. They say, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing." And mm-hmm. my question becomes, "What are you doing?" It doesn't matter. It, it almost seems insignificant what I'm doing, and it's just like Alan just said. What that person does. The, the person that sits here and, and listens to us, your job's more important than what we're doing. At least it, I think so. I was saying this to somebody just a few weeks ago. I said, you might not believe this. I said, but you're, it was actually before I heard that clip. And it's, it's funny, I heard that. Um, yeah. But I said to the person, I said, what you do, you, the person that, that can think for themselves, I said, what you do is actually more important than what I'm doing. And they said, well, why is that? And I said, because you're the one that's going to build. You're the one that's going to carry on. You're the one that's going to be a part of what's actually happening. I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not. I mean, I, I look forward to rebuilding and, and building a better place. I'm not going to do the whole build back better thing, but I, I look forward to, to actually getting back to what we're meant to do. I, I look forward to that. And I think one of the biggest hindrances that we've had that has landed us in this jackpot is something I mentioned over well over a year ago. I said we've been intellectually disarmed here mm-hmm. in especially here in the West. We've been intellectually disarmed. You've been purposely and it's it's not your fault. You've been purposely dumbed down by these institutions, by these people for this particular reason right here. What we're living through, these times we're living through here now. This is why you have been dumbed down. And now is the time for you to, I, I, whatever your level of, of tolerance is, I, I, I don't know what the, the average tolerance level is for somebody. But as you said, Weston, someone's got to hit rock bottom. They've got to lose it before they realize, all right, you know what? I, I want something else. I want something better. I, I want to know why this happened. Yeah. I see, I see people that are, that are hitting rock bottom I mean, with, with, with COVID because we're social yeah. people. We're, we're meant to interact with people and people having their lives upended, turned upside down and inside out. That's really, really messed up a lot of people. If you look at the psychological issues that we're dealing with of people, you know, the effects of which we're probably never going to fully understand the anxiety, the depression, the suicide, it's all off the charts. So people have hit rock bottom, the the substance abuse, the alcohol abuse, everything. People have hit it. At least a goodly percentage of people. I'm not saying everybody. You know, we we were mentally prepared for this, and and I w- I was warned about this for several reasons, but mostly with guys like Alan, I was warned a decade, ago, well over a decade ago, that this was eventually going to come. So I was mentally prepared for it. I'm not saying it's been easy, but it's been easier to cope with it, knowing that it's coming now that it's here. I, I didn't expect it to be as bad as what it is, but, but uh, it's uh, it, it's pretty bad to say the least. But I, I think again, now is the time to reverse these trends. Now is the time for you to expand your mind, learn for yourself, let your mind work, let it work on your terms, not the institution's terms, not whatever they've taught you in in, in these places. You take your time. Take your solitude, right? I, I took a day of solitude yesterday and it was amazing. It was so much of a of a mental reprieve. I needed it. I feel like I've had a complete recharge today and, and going through all of these clips and, and having you on and, and discussing all of the work that you do, it is paramount right now that people understand what we're facing. And this has been in the works for a long time. And that's what your website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, talks about. 
Yeah. And that's all the work that uh, everything we talk, talked about here today, everything that, that uh, we played all on your website that people can go and look. And I encourage people to do that. Um, Thank you. And I would, I would did you uh, have something else. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to let Bruce go. And then I want to give you the last word. I always give the guest uh, the last word. So I'll give you the last oh, okay. word. Okay. Um, but Bruce, go ahead. I, I just want to reiterate the, uh, like you were saying, you need to go out there and think for yourself, educate yourself. Just take that that extra time to even if it's like you you don't watch the football game this tonight or something like that, or you don't watch 30 minutes of the game or something like that. Right. Uh, just take some time and uh, educate yourself. Uh, just uh, even if even if all you can do is educate yourself and communicate with others around you, do something to, to, to try to break yourself out of being a, in, in the zombie state. You know, just just try. uh Try to think for yourself. Uh, it, you, you find that it's actually quite freeing, quite liberating to uh, think for yourself and on your own. And and you know, there, there's kind of a it's kind of a mentality of thinking for yourself and uh, 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 not caring what other people think. And I don't mean that in a, to the extreme, but I mean uh, when you get into groupthink, you're more concerned about what other people think of you than you are trying to better yourself and and pushing yourself forward. You know, so kind of kind of. Um, Get to that point. Don't care what other people think about you and just uh, uh, do the right thing. Just step out and do the right thing. Awesome. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Thank Your you thoughts. Uh, for having me on. And uh, yeah, the that clip we just played, you know, so important. Um, I think it was interesting that he mentioned that, you know, how you let your mind work naturally. Because so, you know, a lot of what, you know, how humans naturally think is drummed out of us. This is part of schooling again. You know, we were taught that we're just sort of walking computers. You know, we're, we're supposed to use just operate on logic and data, but the human mind doesn't work that way. We have intuition, we have emotion, and these things can actually be used to help us understand what we're going through and, and reality and so on. He says, they really can. I would always mention uh, synchronicities that people would have, like they would uh, start singing the same song at the same time as one of the friends would and things like that, you know, without them, you know, planning that. And, and also they would think of somebody that they hadn't thought of in years, and then suddenly they would get a phone call from it, you know? Things like things of this nature, like, you really do. Uh, your mind, you know, can work in ways that you, you're not really taught about in school. And you're not really taught, or in the present, you know, level of science isn't really, you know, and it's okay. And I think that's another interesting thought from that clip that that was powerful. Alan's books, definitely, they, they sort of train you in a non-linear thinking. I highly recommend those. Um, they're worth rereading, or even though they're not that long. They they do they're worth rereading over and over and over again. You get more out of it each time you read it, or you get something you know something different each time you read it. I plug that really quickly, and um, just uh, overall, I enjoyed uh, talking with you guys. Uh, thank you for having me on. It was a great time. It's our pleasure, and we hope to have you back again. Uh, that's an open invitation. You're welcome back uh, anytime. I'm I'm happy to yeah. uh, set a time up for you. I know you're a busy guy, but uh, I appreciate you taking the right. time sitting down talking to us. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and like I said, I hope to uh, hope to have you back soon. All right, I will, I'll I'm a, I'll come back then. I'll, we can talk an email and set something up. Sounds good. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do hope that you're enjoying it, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure this evening. I want to thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.